0: Romans 8. This morning we are uh, Going to begin a brief series of messages that I have been wanting to preach for several years uh, now I've been wanting to preach these messages mainly for my own sake uh, because I know how badly that I need them And I have had them on the schedule time and time again and taken them off Had them on the schedule time and time again and then said no now's not right And in the Lord's providence, this does seem to be the most appropriate time. Uh, The name of this series is Killing Sin by the Spirit. And it really is not a detour uh, from Romans 8. Uh, Rather, having preached several messages on Romans 8, verse 13, and what it means to kill sin by the Spirit... This series is meant to be application uh, In other words, what I want to do now is get very very practical uh, Having seen in general from Romans eight thirteen what it means to put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit I want to ask. What does that actually look like in your life and in my life? Uh, what does that look like on Monday and? Tuesday what does it look like when we're what, fighting one sin or another? And so let's look again at Romans 8. We'll begin reading in verse 12, and I want us to see, especially verse 13, just to remind ourselves what it says. Romans 8, verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we've seen that if we live according to the flesh, indulging in a lifestyle of thoughts, attitudes, desires, actions that are opposed to God, we will experience eternal death in hell. But if we by the Spirit Put to death those evil thoughts attitudes desires and actions that are opposed to God We will experience eternal life in heaven And we've seen that this is not salvation by works. This is the kind of work that a saved person Does that is this is not the basis of our salvation. This is the fruit of our salvation and how do we kill sin by the spirit We've seen that it must include faith in our Savior and in His truth. We've seen that it must include a life of prayer. We've seen that it must include making good use of the means of grace, especially the Word of God, as it comes to us in its various forms. Now, what does that look like in real life? So we're going to take a few sermons to work this out, and we're going to do this using what is called the seven deadly sins Pride avarice, which is another word for greed uh, Lust gluttony sloth envy and anger We are not Roman Catholic We don't believe in making distinctions between uh, Venial sins and mortal sins as they do We believe that all sins are deadly sins That all sins make us guilty before God and deserving of hell But we're going to use these seven because these are common sins These are sins that all of us struggle with to some degree And therefore my prayer is that as we work out how to combat each of these for Christ's sake in Christ's power That you will find your life greatly helped by these messages and that we will see real change for Christ's sake happen in our lives through these messages. Because Mount, Mount Hermon, we, we don't come here on Sunday mornings to hear the Word of God and not be changed by it. We don't come just to be hearers of the Word of God. We come to be doers of the Word of God. Real Christianity is not composed of just coming to church and hearing sermons real christianity is composed of receiving the word of god and then putting the word of god into practice and so what has to be at the the top of my mind as a pastor in every passage we study is this have we really explained how to do this how to live this out and so i hope you'll consider taking notes if you'll consider doing what you need to do to learn from these sermons and then by grace, trusting in Christ, praying constantly, knowing who you are as a child of God, seek to put these things into action. Now, I'll be bringing our attention this morning, especially, to verses from all over the Bible. Uh, this first sermon, perhaps more than all the others, is not strictly expository in the sense of taking a single passage and unpacking that passage. Rather, this I'm going to use passages from all over the Scriptures that deal with the sin of pride and then think about how to put Romans 8.13 into practice concerning this sin. Each of these sermons will have the same outline First will be the sin defined Second will be the sin described Third will be how Christ makes all the difference And then fourth will be how to join the spirit in killing that sin in your life So this morning our subject is pride and we will begin with pride defined And we need to be careful here because it's easy To misdefine pride. Confidence is not pride, confidence is a good thing. God's people are told to be bold as a lion. God's people are to be a people so secure in their relationship to God that they are able to fulfill their callings and change this world with a Christ-exalting confidence. We're not to be a people of self-esteem, but we are to be a people of Christ-esteem, and there is to be a confidence that comes out of that. A confidence rooted through faith in what God has done for us and what His Bible says about who we are. Confidence is not pride. You need to be confident in Christ. Pride, properly defined, is an attitude of glorying in oneself. Glorying in oneself. It's an attitude of deservedness. It desires for self to be seen, for self to be praised, for self to be honored. Self is at the center of pride. And so we have King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. And he looks out over his kingdom And he says, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? And we quickly see that's pride. Why is it pride? There was nothing wrong with Nebuchadnezzar being pleased in a job well done. (laughs) We ought to be pleased in a job well done. But there was no thankfulness to God in Nebuchadnezzar's words. There was no sense of insufficiency. No sense that apart from God, none of what had been accomplished could have been accomplished. No, Nebuchadnezzar's center was on himself. Look what I have done by my power for my name. This is pride. But pride doesn't always appear as obviously and as blatantly in our lives as it did with Nebuchadnezzar. When it comes in the form of boasting and arrogance, we're quick to identify it, at least in other people. That's not the way it always comes out. Listen to uh, John Piper. He says, pride is difficult to define because its manifestations are subtle and often do not look like arrogance. We see this if we compare boasting with self-pity as two forms of pride. Boasting is the response of pride to success. Self-pity is the response of pride to suffering. Boasting says, I deserve admiration because I have achieved so much. Self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I have sacrificed so much. Boasting is the voice of pride in the heart of the strong. Self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. Boasting sounds self-sufficient. Self-pity sounds self-sacrificing. The reason self-pity does not look like pride is that it appears to be needy. But the need arises from a wounded ego. And the desire is not really for others to see them as helpless, but for others to see them as heroes. The need that self pity feels does not come from a sense of unworthiness, but from a sense of unrecognized worthiness. It is the response of unapplauded pride. End quote. So pride is being centered on self and it can come across in either of these two forms in an arrogant boasting? Or in woe is me self-pity Wanting others to note and give me attention for how well I'm enduring These woes that have come my way And so I would ask you church. Do you see either of these in your life? Can you detect pride in your own life? That's pride defined now. Let's look at pride described We've just mentioned pride and its two most common forms. But when we go to the Bible and we listen to its testimony concerning pride, we see that pride is described as an abhorrent thing, a vile thing, even an abomination. Why is pride so vile? And what do, why does the Bible speak so strongly against it? Well, first... Pride is at the root of all evil, pain, suffering, and all of the tragedy in this world. Remember, it was pride that caused the devil and his angels to fall. 1 Timothy 3 describes the qualifications for becoming an elder, a pastor in a local church. And verse 7 says of a candidate for the pastoral office, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Meaning, this is what led to the condemnation of the devil. He was puffed up with conceit. C.S. Lewis said, In the midst of a world of light and love, of song and feast and dance, Lucifer could find nothing to think of more interesting than his own prestige. This is pride, a preoccupation with self. And when we are thinking this way, we are being devilish, demonic, satanic. It was pride that brought about man's first sin and the curse of God that came upon our race and our world. Adam knew what God had said. Adam knew the terms of the covenant and in outright presumption, he broke the commandment. And this means that every moment of sickness and injury, every catastrophe, every natural disaster, every criminal act of murder or rape or child abuse, every moment of death in the history of this world are the result of one man's prideful act. We were expelled from paradise. And creation is now groaning for the day when God will set things right. Why? Because of pride. 1 Timothy 6.10 gets misquoted a lot. It actually says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. But we can go further with pride. We can say biblically that pride is the root of all evil. There is no sin that ever occurs at which pride is not at the root and the foundation. Sin is a refusal to humble oneself before God. Sin is a refusal to be submissive, to joyfully submit to the God who created us. Why do we refuse to submit to the God who who created us? Out of love for, for self. Pride is vile because it is so deceptive. That is, pride has a way of blinding us to reality, causing us to fall into all sorts of other sins that we would otherwise avoid. Uh, Obadiah spoke to the nation of Edom in Obadiah 1 3, and he says this The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me to the ground? I um, heard a story this week about how, um, oh, I'm trying to remember if it was the Dutch or what country it was, that they had had a, a, a ship that years ago had been captured by a Somali pirate. And they'd been trying for years to get this Somali pirate to come to their country so that they would have jurisdiction to arrest him and put him in prison. And they tried all these different ways to try and get this Somali pirate to find his way into their country. And finally, they pretended to be a movie director wanting to make a movie about his life. And he took the bait. And he flew into the airport, and they arrested him on the spot. Right? His pride blinded him right, to what was really happening and to the snare that was being set for him. And that's the language the Bible often uses, that that pride becomes a snare for us. It blinds us so that we find ourselves committing sins and doing things we thought we would never do. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Pride causes us not to fear God. And therefore, when we lose the fear of God, we become capable of all kinds of heinous acts. In Romans 3, Paul quotes verse after verse after verse from the Old Testament about the depravity of man, and then at the very end of his list, he quotes Psalm 36.1, There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is why mankind is capable of such wickedness. There is no fear of God. Why is there no fear of God? Because our pride exalts us and belittles God. It makes us think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It makes us think more lowly of God than we ought. And therefore, pride is described in the Scriptures as a snare. Psalm fifty nine, twelve: David prays, For the sin of their mouths and the word of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. And so Mount Hermon, Hear this warning. Your pride will trap you. It will deceive you. It will ensnare you. High thoughts of self can only lead to self-destruction. 1 Corinthians ten twelve. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Have you ever considered the effects of pride on your relationships? How pride makes you unloving. Jesus said His people would be known by His love. That His people would be known by their love for one another. But 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, what does it say about love? Love is not proud. Pride and love, they don't go together. And the more pride is cultivated in our lives, the less we will be able to love others. Because love requires self-sacrifice. Love requires the willingness to deny self and to give of self. And pride doesn't want to do that. Pride wants to exalt self. Proverbs 13, 10 says that stubborn pride results in strife. Pride brings discord, division, conflict into your life. Pride will destroy the ministries that God gives to you. It will destroy your efforts to serve God in your various callings. Do you remember why God gave Paul that thorn in the flesh? Right? Paul, God gave Paul, God gave Paul that thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Why? Because Paul had been blessed in some unique ways. And with God's blessings came this greater temptation towards pride. And Paul said, for the sake of my ministry, so that I wouldn't destroy my ministry, God gave me this thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. Moses warned Israel about this. Listen to Moses' words to Israel from Deuteronomy 8. He said, take care. We would say in our language, watch out, be on guard, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and you are full And you have built good houses, and you live in them, and where your herds and your flocks multiply, and when your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then be careful that your heart be lifted up, and that you not forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you waters out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and if you go after other gods and serve them and worship them I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you so shall you perish. Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So Moses said to Israel, he says, look, you're going to the promised land and you're going to be blessed there. But with that blessing is going to come temptation towards pride. And generations will be tempted to rise up and to say, look what we've done. Look what we've accomplished. Look at the results of the might of my mighty hand. He said that will lead to disobedience. And if you go that way, you will surely perish. That's no less true for us, church. Pride is not something we can treat lightly. If there is any such thing as a small sin, this one is not it. Those who live in self-righteousness are the furthest away from God. Jesus reserved His strongest rebukes for the Pharisees, for those living in self-righteousness. To quote C.S. Lewis again, He said prostitutes are in no danger of finding their present life so satisfactory that they cannot turn to God. But it is the proud, the avaricious, the self-righteous that are in that danger. Uh, You remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. Both were praying. But the Pharisee was proud, and he was self-righteous. And in the Greek, verse 11, literally it says this, the, ver- the Pharisee standing prayed to himself. In other words, though the Pharisee was praying because of his pride, he wasn't really praying at all. He was praying to self. He thought he was praying to God, but God had nothing to do with his prayers. God has nothing to do with the prayers of the proud. They are an abomination to him. You see, pride will only disrupt your relationship with with others. Pride will disrupt your ministry, but pride disrupts your relationship, your very communion with God. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud you ever thought about what it means for God to be opposed to you we need to hear that and tremble here you are striving for this you're striving for that you're working for this you're working for that and you're praying and you're saying I don't understand I'm doing everything right and I and it's not working out where's the fruit where's the blessing Are you living in pride? God is opposed to you if you are. If you parent in pride, God is opposed to your parenting. You should expect that He would thwart your efforts and not bless them. If you work in business and conduct your business in pride, you should expect that God would be opposed to your work. It should not surprise you when you find that your work is not successful. When you find that it is neither fruitful nor pleasant. Listen to Puritan William Law. He says, Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Under the banner of this truth, give up yourselves to the meek and humble spirit of the Holy Jesus. Humility must sow the seed or there can be no reaping in heaven. Look not at pride only as an unbecoming temper, nor at humility only as a decent virtue. No, for the one is death and the other is life. The one is all hell and the other is all heaven. So much as you have of pride in you, you have of the evil one alive in you. And so much as you have of true humility in you, you have of the Lamb of God in you. Could you see with your eyes what every stirring of pride does to your soul? You would beg of everyone you meet to tear this viper from you, even if it meant losing a hand or an eye. Could you see what a sweet, divine, transforming power there is in humility, how it expels the poison of pride, how it makes room for the Spirit of God to dwell in you, You would rather wish to be the footstool of all the world than to want the smallest degree of it. What has God promised to those who live in pride? Isaiah 2.11, The haughty looks of a man shall be brought low. The lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord God alone will be exalted in that day. In other words, there is coming a day when the pride of man will be crushed let us pray that God will strip us of our pride now by the work of his spirit so that we don't have to face the complete destruction of pride that will come when God condemns the wicked so that's pride described I hope now you see what a vile loathsome thing it is how does Christ make all the difference I'm going to say the same five things in every sermon on every sin about how Christ makes all the difference. Number one, Jesus set the example for us. Christ is our example of humility, leaving heaven, becoming a man, going to the cross, bearing the wrath of God for sinners. Jesus is our example of humility. Number two, Jesus on the cross took the punishment that sinners deserve. So all of our sins of pride were nailed to the cross of Christ. The hell that we deserved was borne by Christ on the cross if we believe. Number three, Christ has promised us a day when we will be perfectly holy. The hope that we have before us is that we will not always battle with pride. We will be made holy, perfectly fit for heaven. Number four, Christ by the Spirit is making us holy now. Which means that if you are a Christian, the Spirit is at work in your life this moment, humbling you, working to kill pride in you. You do not fight your pride alone. You wouldn't have a chance that way. No, you join the Spirit in this fight, and the Spirit will be victorious. And then number five, Christ, by His Spirit, through His Word, causes us to know His love for us. So that we don't fight pride out of a desperate attempt to make things right with God. No, just the opposite. We fight pride with the calm assurance that we are Christ and He is ours. That we are loved, church. We fight pride in the confidence that we are loved by our Savior. Loved with a love beyond our imagination to grasp. And this is where we find our strength. And why do I make those five points? To say this. Unbeliever, come to Christ. Without Christ, your sins of pride will condemn you. Without Christ, your sins of pride will send you to hell. Without Christ, you have no chance of defeating this enemy. And your life will be a curse in this world, not a blessing to those you love. Unbelievers, feel the weight of your pride dragging you to hell. Feel it as a poison that follows you everywhere you go, contaminating everything you do, every relationship you have. Your only hope is Jesus. Amen? And He stands ready and willing to save every person that will come to Him. And to save you not only, as Pastor Merle prayed earlier, from the penalty of the sin that you deserve. but He will save you from the power of that sin. He will not only save you from the guilt of your pride, but from the power of pride in your life. So submit yourself to Christ. Jesus is the only way to kill sin by the Spirit. And so here's our fourth and final heading. How do we walk with the Spirit in killing pride in our lives? This is for us who are in Christ. This is for us who know His love. This is for us who have the Spirit. Taking to heart what we learned in Romans 8.13, how then do we kill pride? A few words of counsel. First, the Spirit, by the Word, is working to give you illumination. Illumination. Uh, the Spirit is seeking to give you a proper understanding concerning pride. And therefore, join with him by seeking to be illuminated. Join with him by seeking that proper understanding. The Spirit is seeking to help you see pride for the ugly thing it is. Join with the Spirit in seeking to have that knowledge. Because we live in a culture that exalts pride. We live in a culture that thinks pride is a lovely thing. We're told pride is a virtue. This is the world's perspective. It's so deceptive and turned upside down. Here's this heinous, abominable poison. And the world says, teach it to your children from an early age. And if you don't intentionally seek to have the Bible's mindset on this, you will fall into the world's mindset. And you won't be fighting this sin. You'll be living in it. So actively seek God's perspective. The Spirit through the Word is seeking to instruct you. So in your private devotions, in your family worship, in your small group Bible studies, in the times of preaching, are you listening and are you receiving the Word of God with meekness? And are you praying for God to change your thoughts and your attitudes on this subject of pride? The Bible doesn't just teach us about this through its commandments, but also through examples. Think about men like John the Baptist Think about how hard it must have been for John the Baptist. I mean, he was something of a celebrity. There were scores of people that were following him everywhere he went. And all of a sudden, they all start leaving. A little at a time, a little at a time, and then a lot. And he looks around and all his followers are gone. Where are they going? They've gone to this man named Jesus. How easy it would have been for John the Baptist to fall into self-pity or prideful anger. And instead, we have John the Baptist saying, no, I must decrease and Christ must increase. John the Baptist is set before you as an example. Are you learning from his example? Do you bring to mind those words often? Christ must increase. I must decrease. Can you say from the bottom of your heart, yes, that's where I find my joy, that the glory of Christ would be loved, not the glory of self. As one old hymn put it, O to be but emptier, lowlier, mean, unnoticed, and unknown, and to, for God to fill a vessel holier, filled with Christ and Christ alone, naught of earth to cloud the glory, nothing of self the light to dim, but telling forth His wondrous story, emptied to be filled with Him. Or as Psalm 115, 1 says it, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. The Spirit is actively instructing you through the Word. Are you learning? Second, the Spirit is working to cultivate discernment in you. The Spirit is working to help you to be aware of pride in your own life, to recognize it in yourself. Are you learning to recognize it in yourself? Are you seeking this discernment? Are you joining with the Spirit and intentionally working to have discernment, to have a conscience that is tender so that the moment you say something that is boastful or full of self-pity, there's something that goes off in your mind that says, oh, I need to stop right now. Do you catch yourself? Oh, I hope you catch yourself. I hope you don't go through a day and you just come to the end of the day and you realize, I didn't even once think twice about anything I said. That's bad, right? The Spirit is working in you to be discerning so that there are things you begin to say and you stop. That there are things you begin sometimes to say to your spouse and halfway through you say, you know what, I'm going to stop because I realize this isn't going where it should be. right? That This isn't a holy thought. Are you working with the Spirit to, to think that way? To, to squelch prideful thoughts, words, or actions where they begin? To stomp pride in the dirt? to Not let it blossom in you. Third, the Spirit by the Word is working to convict you of present pride and to bring you to repentance. Therefore, join the Spirit in killing pride by being open to conviction and eager to repent. Don't resist the Spirit's work of conviction in your life. Actively seek to feel the depths of the vileness of pride in your life, and regularly do this. Folks, self-examination is an important, regular Christian discipline. If you go weeks, months, or even years without putting before your, your life the mirror of the Word of God and allowing yourself to feel utterly vile before God, well, you're in a mess because you need that. Now, you don't stay there, right? You run to the Gospel. You, you, you find love in Christ, but you need to have those moments of being brought low regularly, reminding yourself of the vileness of these sins feeling afresh how awful how heinous how abhorrent pride is in you finally the spirit by the word is seeking to cultivate humility in you remember the best defense is a good offense the way we kill pride number one weapon is to intentionally work at cultivating humility And so if that's what the Spirit is seeking to do in you, you join with the Spirit in that goal. And not just in here, not just with your attitude, but with action. Take real action to cultivate humility in your life. Say, Justin, what does that mean? What do I do? What can I practically do today? What can I practically do this week to cultivate humility? I guarantee you some point during this week somebody's going to say something corrective to you. Somebody's going to say something that's kind of an admonishment Maybe it's a a boss getting on you for something. Students, maybe it's a teacher getting on you for something you did wrong. Maybe it's a friend that says you shouldn't have done that. How are you in that moment going to actively respond? Here's how you cultivate humility. You prepare yourself for those moments, and then when they come, you say, Self, there's something in me that wants to react negatively here, but I'm not. I'm going to submit to correction. Even if the correction is wrong, I'm not going to fight against it. I'm going to take from it what I can that's good and learn from it. Receive discipline well. We must make the most of our seasons of discipline, humbling ourselves before God. How about um, submitting to authority? Do we all have authorities in our lives? We do. One of the best and most practical ways that we learn humility is by learning to submit to authority. Especially Right? when we sense something in us wanting to react negatively or to, to rebel against authority, learning to quiet one's heart, learning to submit oneself to the decisions and the instructions of others over us, that teaches our hearts true humility. If you're not actively submitting to godly authorities in your life, honoring that authority, then you're missing a major tool that God has given you to kill pride in your life. Another way to cultivate humility is by regularly remembering what you deserve. That is, it is really hard to complain and it is really hard to be arrogant when you remember that you deserve hell but you're going to heaven. When we keep that mindset that endless suffering is our just deserts, but we're getting endless joy instead, that humbles us. And think about the cost of your salvation. Think about the cross. Think about the suffering of Jesus on your behalf. Does that not humble you? These kinds of thoughts we must regularly bring to our minds again and again. If we could for one moment glimpse the hell we deserve. And if we could for one moment glimpse the heaven we are receiving and the great price that Christ paid to bring it to us, it would kill pride inside of us. We can't see hell with the eyes in our heads. And we can't see heaven with the eyes in our heads. And we can't see the cross with the eyes in our heads. But we have the eyes of faith. And we have what is told to us in the Holy Scriptures. Let us set our eyes on those things often cultivate humility in us. So Mount Hermon, let us war against pride. The Spirit, by grace, is using the Word to kill pride in our lives. Let us learn from the Spirit's instruction. Let us learn discernment of when pride is appearing in our lives. Let us take time to be convicted of pride in our lives and to repent of it. Let us intentionally and actively seek to cultivate humility And let us do all of this not to earn salvation. Trusting in Christ as our righteousness but doing this to honor the Savior who loves us so much and to walk worthy of Him. Amen? May God make us a humble people. Guys, God opposes the proud but you remember the other part. God draws near to the humble. What do we want as a church more than having God to draw near near to us to do much that is good and great. May the Lord make us a humble people. Let's pray.